0: This episode is sponsored by Libro FM Audiobooks. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. You can pick from more than a 100,000 titles, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro FM, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know who we're talking about. But you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro FM app. If you already love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, check out recommendations and curated lists from the people who know audiobooks best, local booksellers. In June, Libro.fm is launching the Kids Club and YA Club, which will offer select audiobooks priced under $10 each month, as well as their Summer Listening Challenge. Each person to finish will get free audiobook credit and the chance to win free audiobooks for a year if you complete the challenge Extra Credit. So get in there, do your extra credit. Listeners of all the books can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of just one month. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O.fm, and enter code BR3, the number three. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. Again, that's Libro.fm. Enter the code BR3 to get three months for the price of one. Thanks to Libro.fm for sponsoring.
1: to all the books a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases this is episode 211 and today we are talking about books being released on june 4th 2019 and more i'm liberty hardy here is rebecca shinsky and we're coming to you from bookriot.com hello hello hi it doesn't feel like that long since i talked to you because we're actually recording this quite early Yes,
0: we're a little bit early because I am headed to New York for the week to do Book Expo. So by the time we talk again, I will have been there and come back. (laughs) We'll have some news maybe of other new books that are coming out. Um, Today We're spending our Memorial Day together here. Yes,
1: it's true. It's a gorgeous day. Um, So today, fake today, June 4th, is like the most (laughs) amazing new release day of the year so far. It really is. There are so many. Uh, it's so, so amazing. Um, I may have mentioned this before. I don't know if I have, but sometimes when I read so many books for, like, the show that I love, I hate <laughs> making decisions. I cannot decide which ones to do. So I just close my eyes. I, like, write them all down on my whiteboard, and then I close my eyes and, like, point in, like, whichever ones <laughs> I come up with are the ones that I talk about on the show because I'm like, I don't I don't know how to choose. I, like, it's 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 a really good problem to have yeah so and then the other ones I go in the newsletter and that's great but I'm like I just can't decide so that's how I do it or I'll put like them on the floor whichever ones the cat sniffs that's usually how like (laughs) I pick what I read next sometimes
0: oh if I had put them on the floor and let Jasper pick he would be tearing them apart (laughs) It's like the grand irony of being the dog in a house with a ton of books is that his favorite thing is to take the envelopes that all the galleys come in and shred them. And then if a book happens to still be inside, Uh that book is also toast.
1: Bonus! It's like book ravioli! It is. Book ravioli. Before I tell you about the first book that I pointed at, (laughs) let me tell you about our first sponsor for today. It is the guest book by Sarah Blake. It is, a, it is about three generations haunted by a dark family secret. It's a lifetime of secrets, a history untold. No, it is a simple word uttered on a summer porch in 1936, and it will haunt Kitty Milton for the rest of her life, and its consequences will ripple through the Milton family for generations. Moving through three generations and back and forth in time, the guest book asks how we remember and what we choose to forget and tells the story of a family and a country that buries its past in quiet... Until the present calls forth a reckoning. The guest book is the must-read book of summer. It's written by Sarah Blake, the author of the best-selling novel, The Postmistress. And it is available now wherever books are sold. We thank them for sponsoring. I remember when The Postmistress came out. That was such a big deal. Huge! And I've been watching um, the the confusion online because Sarah Blake, the author of Nama, also Mm. had a book that came out last month. And so people are, you know, like, congratulating the wrong Sarah Blakes online all <laughs> over the place. Um, oh. It's interesting. But they're really, they're like, they, they take it very well, you know. They're very Good. good-spirited about it, so. Um, I would like to tell you about my first book. Please do. Okay. There is no way, no way that I can do this justice or... or do a good job explaining just how amazing and beautiful this book is. But I'm going to tell you about it, and then you can find out by yourself. It is On Earth, We're Briefly Gorgeous by Ocean Vuong. He is the author of Night Sky with Exit Wounds, which is a book of poetry that won a million awards a few years ago. Mm. Um, and this is his debut novel, but it's like reading poetry. It's so beautiful and incredible. It's about a young man, or it's narr- I should say it's narrated by a young man. His name is Little Dog. Um, he's writing this letter to his mother who can't read, and he's telling her their story and their life. Um, he's called Little Dog because he is Vietnamese, and in Vietnam, there is a tradition. Um, he is very young, uh, and so they name the younger, ch- the small children or the weak children or the sick children these... Um, ugly names like, like pig and monkey and stuff, because when the spirits come looking for a child to take, they're going to pass over a small, you know, weak child that has an ugly name. Cause they don't, they don't want to pay attention to that child. So that is why he's given that name. Um, and he lives in the U S he lives in Hartford with his mother and his grandmother who are both suffering PTSD from the, the war. And it's about their experiences as immigrants. It is about their, his mother and grandmother's experiences during the war. Um, little dog himself is like bullied, uh, and teased for his size. And because he's from Vietnam and there are very few Asian people where he lives. Um, and so he's always getting picked on for being small. His mother is full of anger and rage and occasionally loses her temper and she throws things at him and she strikes him. Um, she works in a nail salon, like breathing those fumes all day and she speaks a little English, so he is her voice when they go out and, and talks for her. Um, and as he gets older, he works uh, the summers on a tobacco farm. He he finds his first love. He explores his sexuality. Um, it's it, But, like, it's like poetry. It's like nothing I've read before. Um, it's this beautiful, beautiful book about trauma and abuse and addiction, but also about love and belonging and just having such strong emotions for people um, and like telling your own story in your own voice. And it's, I I cannot do it justice. I cannot. Um, I think it's the best novel of the year. So it is called on earth. We're briefly gorgeous. And it's by ocean Vuong.
0: I've been so looking forward to that, but then also glad that you claimed it for this week so that I wouldn't be the one who had to try to talk about it.
1: (laughs) Oh, it's, it's like getting punched repeatedly in the gut. Like, while your heart is, you know, being tickled. It's just, uh, uh, does that make any sense? I don't know. Uh,
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to take a hard like, turn <laughs> into a totally different vibe for my first pick this week. It's Naturally Tan, a memoir by Tan France. You might recognize him as the style and fashion guy from Netflix's Queer Eye series. Um, I have loved Queer Eye and found it to be both just really Warm and fun and encouraging, but also really important in the way that it validates a variety of experiences within the LGBTQ culture and is seeking to break down walls between gay people and straight people, between people from middle America and people from big cities. And sort of, it really, I think, is trying to do a lot and it succeeds in doing many of those things. This, I expected to be just like a funny, silly celebrity memoir, um, and those are a lot of fun. And I got so much more than that. He's had a fascinating. Life. Um, he grew up in South Yorkshire in England. He um, was is a member of a Pakistani family and culture. He was one of very few brown people, one of very few Muslims, living in his community. And he writes about being a kid and being bullied for those things. But also um, about being aware that he was always attracted to boys. He knew that he was gay, but he didn't have language for it until he was a teenager and didn't realize that that attraction to people of the same gender was anything that anybody thought was weird or different until, of course, someone, he heard someone like bullying someone else for it and put the uh, connected the dots of like, oh, this thing about myself that I've just always accepted, this might actually make my life difficult in some ways. Um, He always was drawn to style and fashion and changing his clothes up as a way to express himself. And when he was in his mid-20s, he was visiting Salt Lake City and met this man who is an ex-Mormon from Wyoming who was living in Salt Lake City and they hit it off like very quickly, sort of had a whirlwind romance and eventually got married to each other. And the story of Tan's sort of family life and career coming into his own as a young gay man um, and as a member of multiple marginalized communities, how he started to understand his identity and his place in the world and his ability to make a difference is really wonderful. The book is really fun and funny but also has a lot of, has a whole lot of heart and a lot of honesty as he writes about both his own difficult experiences, but also very um, passionate opinions and views that he has about how we should exist in the world, what kind of friends we should be, how we should present ourselves, what it means to commit to someone in marriage. And also fascinatingly, um, when he was designing clothes for uh, modest clothes for Mormon women for a um, designer designer. There And then ultimately started a business offering the same thing. He's the one who revived all the retro, like great Marilyn Monroe style swimsuits and the high-waisted bikinis that have been having a moment for like the last five or six years. Um, And I did not realize that we owe that to him. And he tells the story of how that all happened in the book as well. It's really wonderful. Um, I read it in print, but I think if you're an audiobook fan, listening to him read it would be really fun as well. And I just can't recommend it enough if you enjoyed queer I I think you will really enjoy getting to know more about tan especially because he's like the quietest one on camera um, doesn't offer a whole lot about himself so sort of getting that vulnerability of him on the page was really interesting so that is naturally tan a memoir by tan France
1: well our books were different but actually had a lot of the same yeah, that's true the
0: different um, storyline different yeah different tones yeah with similar themes yeah.
1: yeah and I'm going to roll in to my next pick which is another novel about immigrants and queer love it is patsy by nicole dennis ben uh, we loved her last novel here mm. comes the sun and this one i think i like it more if that's possible
0: good oh that's a good trajectory to yeah, be on. yeah
1: her writing is so beautiful it's just like so soothing um it is about a woman named patsy she is jamaican and at the beginning of the book she lives in this impoverished town in jamaica uh, she is going to apply for a visa. She wants to go to America, where her friend Sicily moved many years ago. She's been writing her letters telling her about how amazing New York City is, and and she misses Cicely. They were very close. Um, and now two years before the book starts, uh, Patsy had gone uh, to apply for a visa to go to America. She was going to take her daughter. Um She had a little daughter, and uh, they denied her a, pa- a visa, and so... She went back, and this time uh, someone had told her that the reason that they had denied her the first time was because she didn't own any property. She had nothing worth coming back for. Uh, So this time she goes and she gets a visa, but she's not taking her daughter. She decides that she's going to Mm -hmm. leave her daughter in Jamaica. She feels like she never really loved her daughter like she was supposed to um, and that she didn't love her like her daughter loves her. And she decides to choose herself, to choose her happiness. She wants to go to America where she hears it's amazing and so she leaves, she leaves her five-year-old daughter, True, behind. Um, and so over the span of 10 years, we get to see um, both uh, Patsy's life in America and True's life back in Jamaica. Um, of course, like most stories, when she gets to America, it is not the wonderful place that, you know, she had heard about or had been told about. Um, and it's very hard being an undocumented immigrant. Uh, she ends up cleaning bathrooms and being a nanny and, you know, finding work where she can Um she also, her relationship with Sicily is very different. She's married now. She has a child and she realizes like things will not go back to the way that they used to be. And so she's, she's devastated over that. Meanwhile, true, you know, her mother has left her. She's five years old. She knows enough that her mom has left her and she's passed off to her father who she's never really known, um, who has been married, you know, was having an affair with, with Patsy. Um, and she grows up in his household, household <laughs> with his wife and children, um, which is unusual for her, and she struggles to find herself as she gets older. Um, you know, She has all these friends that she plays soccer with. She plays soccer with, with a lot of the boys in the neighborhood, but suddenly like when she reaches a certain age and she wants to play soccer at school, she's not allowed to play anymore because she's a girl, which is upsetting to her because she's better than all of them. Um, and she's also like figuring out her sexuality and who she's attracted to and what she wants to do. Um, and Patsy is back in America, you know, trying to do the best that she can and, and find, you know, her happiness. Um, it's just, it's a really beautiful story about mothers and love and it's so, her writing is so incredible. Like, I just felt like I read it in five minutes. I know I didn't read Mm. it in five minutes, but like it just flowed through me. I just couldn't, couldn't get enough. So again, that is called Patsy and it is by Nicole Dennis Ben. Ooh, I can't
0: wait to read that one. Uh, My next pick this week is straight from the Shinsky wheelhouse of stories about people leaving fringe religions. (laughs) It's Leaving the Witness, Exiting a Religion and Finding a Life by Amber Scora. Um, This is a really fascinating memoir. Amber Scora was a third generation Jehovah's Witness. She and her husband were deeply involved in the um, missionary work that Jehovah's Witnesses do. Um, And I didn't know prior to reading this, that most Jehovah's Witnesses are required to spend like, it's like 30, 50 or 70 hours a month, um, out knocking on doors, trying to convert people or, or like building the relationships that eventually move to trying to convert people into the religion. And they feel so passionately about this because the teachings that they follow warn them that Armageddon is impending and that only people who accept these teachings are going to go to heaven. Um, She and her husband have been selected into like a very elite group of missionaries who move to China where preaching is illegal and so they have to do it all underground and be very secretive and sort of like speak in codes and watch it like very carefully watch out about how they meet up with other members of the religion but also be like very very careful and methodical about how they form their relationships with the people that they're trying to witness to um, because they could get arrested if they are to get caught so this stakes are really high both in terms of uh, like present immediate legal consequences but also they believe that the stakes are really high for eternity um she's struggling in her marriage she's overwhelmed by this life in china and is feeling kind of pulled to explore some other things when she strikes up a friendship i don't want to say how or like what the um circumstances are, because I don't want to spoil this really amazing story, um, but she strikes up a friendship with a person who challenges her ideas about the absolute truth of what she's been taught, and who suggests to her that perhaps this is a cult, or perhaps she's been brainwashed, and um, that notion sticks in her mind, and she starts to explore alternate ways of thinking about the world. Ultimately, she leaves her marriage, and she leaves her religion, and writes about that just complete upheaval and then about trying to come out of it. Um, I also tore through this. Um, it's a really bold move to tell these kinds of stories. The like, sort of governing bodies of the church I'm really frown on talking about the process and, of course, um, are continuing to teach that she's an apostate, that she is lost, and that, um, that the things that she's saying are lies. So it's just like nothing has been easy for her in trying to find what's true for herself. Um, and it's a really, it's a really bold – she makes a bunch of really bold decisions. Um, I found it to be totally fascinating. So that's Leaving the Witness, Exiting a Religion, and Finding a Life by Amber Scora.
1: So um, I'm almost 43 years old. And mm-hmm. just last week, I discovered that my middle name means Jehovah is God. Oh, what's your middle name? Joel. Oh, I didn't. Yeah, know that. I've never thought. I was like, oh, it's a French word, like my first name, and like I spent so much time focusing on my first name, and everybody always talks about it. That I was like, mm. so I, somebody was asking me about my middle name, and I was like, I wonder if there are a lot of Joels, and I looked it up, and I was like, oh, hey, look at this. Had no idea huh no idea i just know that my parents got my name off the calendar in the doctor's office like the (gasps) the painting on that month was done by somebody named joelle something or another and they liked it oh wow so i wonder
0: if if your parents even know that's fascinating you could always change it to jolene and do like a dolly parton (laughs) (laughs) it
1: doesn't come up very often you know All those people out there on the internet trying to get into my bank account now with my middle name. You know what? (laughs) This is a
0: ridiculous confession I'm about to make, but Liberty is such a strong name that I never considered that you had a middle name. I just think of you as like Madonna.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of like that. I mean, it's it's not like when people say my name, they don't know who other people are talking about, you know? So then then I don't rob banks because I don't really look like everyone else either. So I'm just stuck here can't commit crime, can't do anything. <laughs> well, you know what you can do
0: is tell me about your next book.
1: I can do that. Uh, my next pick is Aisha at Last by Uzma Julaudin, And it is a modern Pride and Prejudice retelling set in Canada about a young Muslim woman named Aisha. Uh, she is starting a teaching job. She's not really excited about it. Um, she ends up hiding in the bathroom the first day. Because the children frighten her. Um, she's a poet. She's a really great poet. Uh, but she's like indebted to her uncle who took her mother and and Aisha in when their father died. Uh, they came over from India. And so she feels like she needs to pay him back. So she's working this job. Um, her mother wants her to get married. She's trying to figure out an arranged marriage for her. And making matters worse in the marriage front is Aisha's beautiful cousin who has just tur- like is about to turn down like her 100th proposal Um, you know, she's just like, la, 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 you know, just going through the guys. And um, that's kind of putting the pressure on Aisha because she's older and she's supposed to be the responsible one and she's supposed to be married now. And and her cousin is, like, wonderful and she, you know, they're really good friends, but, you know, she doesn't know what she wants and so she just keeps turning them down. So her uncle wants Aisha to talk to her cousin and, like, be like, you know, you need to make a choice soon. Um, And then the other character in the book is Khalid, who is a Muslim man, um, he actually lives across the street from Aisha, um, but they don't know each other at this time. Uh, he and his mother have moved into a very small house after the death of their father, um, for reasons that you find out later. And he works for a large corporation. He observes his religion. Uh, he wears the robe. He, wear, he has the beard. He wears the skull cap. Um, he washes his feet at work. And this he's always been a great employee. He's worked there for years. But now there's a new boss, and they call her the Shark. And when he meets her, um, his religion does not allow him to shake hands with women. He doesn't touch women mm-hmm. outside of marriage. And she does not like that at all. She's very prejudiced and she becomes very suspicious. And she wants the HR person. I can't talk today. She wants the HR person to start a file on him because she's like, you know, who is this guy? He doesn't fit in. He doesn't dress like everyone else. You know, like she's she's a total racist. And this is going to cause problems for Khalid. And so um, the HR person happens to be... Aisha's best friend. And, you know, she's telling Khalid like, you know, maybe you should, you know, dress like wear slacks and a shirt and dress like everyone else, you know, and trying to fit in because you're going to lose your job. And he doesn't he doesn't know what to do. Like he does. He give up his like his beliefs, you know, or compromise his beliefs in order to keep his job. He needs the money to support his mother. So he doesn't know what to do. Um, but the HR I'm forgetting her name. Uh, but Aisha's best friend wants to set her up with Khalid because she thinks that they would get along. So she invites them out and like Khalid's not happy because she lies and her, his friend lies and says, it's not a bar, but they're at a bar. And so he sees Aisha, this Muslim woman out at a bar and he judges her for that because he doesn't believe Muslim women should be out drinking. Um, and so she gets, she can tell that he's judging her. She like gets up and, and recites this like, like super burn, basically this poem at this open mic night, which is amazing. Um, kind of like saying like don't judge me, and it's just sort of how like they're drawn back together, and you know the the prejudices that they face. Um, you know it's a, it's a wonderful story about immigration and family, um, and how you know Muslims face prejudices from non-Muslims. Like uh, she's like Aisha's walking, and and this woman's like, hey, you don't have to wear your headscarf anymore. You know you live in in Canada. You know and not trying thinking that she's being helpful, you know, whereas like Aisha chooses to wear her headscarf. And also like the prejudices that, you know, people face from other people in their religions. For instance, like when, when Khalid judges her for being at the bar. Um, I really liked Aisha's grandpa. He was really fun and he likes to quote Shakespeare and he has lots of books. Um, I did keep getting a little confused though because he's referred to as Nana. And so, like here, our oh. nana is like a woman. So I kept thinking, like, oh, no, it's not his. It's n-, and his her, her grandmother is nanny. So, um, but they're just like super charming characters. Uh, I did see some people who were a little bent out of shape online because it's not strictly faithful to Pride and Prejudice. To which I say. Pfft. Like come
0: on. A hearty fart noise in your direction. Well we've just
1: like I would say a raspberry. Um we've just gotten this amazing novel with with two lead Muslim characters, which like never happens, you know? It's just like like take it for what it is. It's incredible. Also,
0: we all know the Pride and Prejudice story. Like it's not going anywhere, it's fine.
1: And they sold she um sold the rights to a movie company. It's gonna be a big picture. So It's really fun and I loved it. So it is Aisha at Last by Uzma Julaludin. All right. Let me tell you about our next
0: sponsor before we roll on. It is The Plus One by Sophia Money Coots. This is about Polly Spencer. She's single, she's turning 30, but seriously, she's fine. Even if she is still stuck at Posh Magazine writing about royal babies and the chances of finding a plus one to her best friend's summer wedding are looking worryingly slim. But it's a new year and Polly is determined that over the next 365 days, she's going to remember to shave her legs, drink less wine, and get her stuff together. Her latest piece is on the infamous Jasper, Marquess of Milton. Undoubtedly, neither a plus one nor the one. She's heard the stories. There is no way she'll succumb to his charms. This is a rom-com which is just perfect for summer polly writes for a gossip a gossip magazine that focuses on royal gossip so this is also perfect for people who have been loving following all the news of the english royal family and the new royal baby do you think polly is going to end up with this marquess or no so that is the plus one by sophia money coots that sounds like fun All right. My next one is on being human, a memoir of waking up, living real, and listening hard by Jennifer Pasteloff. Um, Jen, I know her as Jen Pasteloff on the internet. I don't know her, but I follow her. Um, I followed her for a few years through sort of the yoga and mindfulness world. Um, And this is a memoir built on the stories that she tells in workshops that she teaches that are also called on being human, that are a blend of yoga and storytelling and like very intent, sort of deep listening to the other people that are in the room. Um, I've not been a part of one of those, but I'm aware of them. And Lydia Yukinovich, the novelist, um, writes a foreword to the book and talks about how she knows Jen and about the experiences that she had at one of those workshops, but also sort of the intersection, Jen Pastelov's work sort of sits at the intersection intersection of like yoga, writing, creativity, and human connection. Um, So in the memoir, she talks about Um, struggling in her job as a waitress, dealing with depression and anxiety and sort of all all of the really deep, dark stuff that can come with that. So um, trigger warning if you are... Uh, sensitive to discussions of mental health, also discussions of um, eating disorders, and ultimately about how she she sort of accidentally finds her way to yoga and becomes a yoga teacher and then is able to redirect her life and finds her joy in life and her, um, by finding beauty in other people and in the world around her. It's, um, it's I think, a really vulnerable and tender memoir. Um, some of the, like, I think as most of these memoirs from people who are in like the yoga mindfulness sort of new age space can go, it really is a your mileage may vary. So like some of the language that she uses isn't stuff that jams for me. I'm not a manifesting person. And she writes a lot about um, manifesting things and finding joy in various ways. But I think the overall themes of the book are really relatable to anybody who has felt like they were searching for something, um, what it can feel like to be seeking to hit on an answer that you weren't expecting. And then she really like bravely leans into the discovery that these are the things that make her feel good about life. And then also is so passionate about sharing them with other people and helping other people to find their way into themselves and into connection with each other. Um, from that angle, it's really inspiring. And it was fascinating to me to learn more about this person that has just sort of seemed on the um, like she's not on the periphery of the world. She's just been on the periphery of my awareness of um, that sort of that intersection of yoga, creativity, mindfulness. There's a group of um, writers and thinkers that are doing work around that that seem to like all know each other thanks to Instagram. Um, So it was cool to like get beyond her Instagram feed and learn a little bit more about her and about the work that she's been doing. So that's On Being Human by Jennifer Pasteloff.
1: My last pick is one of those nonfiction books that I could talk about for several hours, so I'm (laughs) not going to, but this is sort of a a dark... Dark subject of a different kind. It's The Truffle Underground, a tale of mystery, yes! mayhem, and manipulation in the shadowy market of the world's most expensive fungus by Ryan Jacobs. Also, I think there's like a rule if you have a nonfiction book, your subtitle has to be at least 20 words. <laughs> um, so this is like, this is like the Orchid Thief of Truffles. Uh, Ryan Jacobs is a writer for The Atlantic. In 2013, he heard a, a strange story about mushrooms, which led him to read about truffles um, which led him to hear about uh, the truffle underground. Um, if you don't know what a truffle is, it's a fungus. It grows underground, uh, and it's very, very, very expensive. People pay thousands of dollars to eat them. Um, it tr- it's sort of like this weird spore that grows underground and starts moving its way towards roots and trees. It takes many years For this little fungus spore to find where it needs to go, and then many more years for it to grow, and it finally appears. Um, and he mentions, like, you know, in America, we have this idea of like truffles, like being, uh, hunted by pigs in forests, when actually, like, the majority of them are now grown on farms. And there was this problem, like, in 2005, these, there was a huge truffle heist, these thieves, hit all these farms in southeastern France and stole hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of rare truffles. There's this one kind of truffle called the Black Pearl or the Black Diamond. Um, they sell for like thousands of dollars an ounce. And the, But there's like all these robberies going on all over the place. You know, and like, t- like a whole syndicate, like 10 and 20 men showing up at a time. They're like cutting through people's ceilings. They're driving cars through concrete walls. <laughs> To like pry open the fridge and and take these these truffles and like these truffles they're so rare because as soon as you take them out of the ground like most plants they start to die however but like these actually start to shrink in size and their taste is less fresh like as the hour goes by uh, so like if you've got you've got about ten days and then a truffle is no good um, and like celebrities will pay a ton of money to fly from like one country to another just to eat a dinner. With a fresh truffle. Um, Apparently, Oprah is a really a big fan of truffles. Uh, And so is Puff uh, Puff Daddy. So, um, and he also mentions how if you have eaten a truffle here in the States or have truffle oil, you probably have not actually eaten a truffle. (gasps) There's a lot of fake truffles that... Imposter truffles. Yeah, they can be chemically enhanced. That's what most truffle oil is here. And also, they're super good at faking out even the experts now. Um, truffles used to be really plentiful Uh, and then at the like at the turn of the 20th century but then because of the wars the it changed the ground the the bombings and everything like like changed what was going on underground and and a lot of truffles stopped growing and then these thieves came along and went to these farms and sort of they just like destroy these farms they root up all these truffles and then destroy the ecosystem there. So they're no longer growing. So like these people's livelihoods are basically ending and they're out there now like patrolling their farms with rifles and shovels and poisoning you know dogs that are might be out there like hunting for truffles um and and they're figuring out like what they're going to do like when this happens to them because now they have to start all over again um and they and the thieves are are very smart because they're they're sending in like teens because like in america Mm. the punishment for minors is a lot less than for adults so they're like sending in these teens to steal all these truffles um and so Jacobs talks to farmers, he talks to police, um, he cover, he mostly covers, um, these things happening in France and Italy, um, but he talks about like, why truffles? Like, why would you eat this? And why is it such a luxury item? Why is it such a status symbol? Uh, and the history of truffles and like the trajectory of truffles, like where it's gonna go if, you know, we can't grow them this quickly and they continue to be this expensive. Um, if you like nonviolent true crime stories, except for those poor dogs, um, if you like, micro histories if you're a foodie if you just like to read history and be like whoa that is bananas um i highly recommend it it is the truffle underground a tale of mystery mayhem and manipulation in the shadowy market of the world's most expensive fungus by ryan jacobs
0: i am so here for this the day the galley showed up at my house i was like i'm just gonna put this in my audiobook queue and wait for june 4th (laughs) so that bob and i can listen to it together
1: (laughs) yeah it's fun i don't (laughs) think i want to eat one though no yeah even though they're like rare and expensive I'm not big on mushrooms or any kind of fungi so
0: that's fair I've had like truffle fries but now I'm thinking they were probably made of lies yeah
1: truffle lies
0: truffle lies lies fries Oh, boy. Let's do this. My last pick this week is The River by Peter Heller. It came out back in March, and I read it on vacation in upstate New York um, about a month ago when I was just after whitewater rafting. Uh, this is a story about two uh, guys who are college friends. They are on uh, summer break, and they decide that they're going to canoe the Masqua River, which is in northern Canada. Um, they're expecting it to be you know, adventurous and leisurely, but there is a wildfire That is tearing through the forest and it's going to uh, potentially just like jump the river and affect them. And so that has added a sense of urgency to what they thought was just going to be like a chill hang together on the river for a few weeks added to that is that one night when there's really heavy fog and they're um, paddling down, they hear a couple fighting or they hear a man and a woman fighting and they're pretty sure it's a couple. And they go to find this couple so that they can warn them about the fire, but they can't find anybody. So they carry on their way. The next day, a man appears on the river paddling by himself and they don't know if this is the man that they heard in the couple. And if so, where's the woman and what happened? And so it's like a, it becomes kind of a maybe murder mystery on the river. Definitely a what happened to this woman mystery on the river. Um, It's like man versus nature, man versus man and man versus himself all wrapped into one. It's so tense and surprising. Um, I really Really loved it. I was not expecting it to be like as thrillery um, feeling as it was, and I that was a really nice surprise. I was just here for a story about two guys canoeing down the river, and like maybe some mysterious things happened, but there was really excellent pacing. The characters are fully drawn, and I was just glued to it from start to finish. I read it in one sitting over the course of a couple flights, um actually coming back from vacation. It was just excellent. So if you are looking for an adventure thriller, to start your summer, um, I would recommend *The River* by Peter Heller.
1: He, like pe- everyone Out. knows him from *The Dog Stars*, but he has been consistently, or he, he has been releasing consistently amazing novels, like since then. Yeah, and I only ever hear he, people he, mention *The Dog Stars*.
0: And he writes excellent, like nonfiction that's often about travel and the outdoors as well. So you can really see that coming through in this. Definitely pick up *The River*. Okay.
1: Yay. Those are
0: mostly new releases and one slightly older pick. We did it. <laughs> yes. What are you going to read next, Liv? So,
1: you know that books are my whole life, and just everything about books is so exciting to me, and authors are so important to me. And There's a reason I'm saying this, because um, my the book I'm going to read next is very important to me. It might not be as important to other people, but <laughs> um, when I heard that this was coming out, Uh, I immediately lost my mind on Twitter and contacted the publisher, and it actually uh, is coming out now three years later than they said. Um, It is Me and Mr. Cigar by Gibby Haynes, um, which is—Gibby Haynes is the lead singer of the Butthole Surfers. So right right there, um, not to everyone's taste— uh, it's a young, it's a young adult novel about a boy and his supernatural dog who bites off his sister's hand. So again, what? um, it, cause it's, it's Gibby Haynes, so you know, it's going yeah, to be, right. it has to be but, a little weird. I mean, the publisher, like Soho Press, I thank them so much because they, it's not even in galley form yet. They photocopied a manuscript for me and bound it and sent it to me. And I cried wow. when it arrived because I love the band and it just means so much to me. Um, to receive this, like I'm, I'm so excited about this, and and that's, that's one of the awesome. things I love about books is just, oh, they make me feel so amazing, and everyone's amazing. So I just got a little emotional there. Um, oh, about, I love about that. <laughs> <Just> like, <laughs> what? So, um, what are you going to read next? I'm going to read
0: All This Could Be Yours by yes. Jamie Attenberg, which I'm really sorry, listeners, it doesn't come out until October.
1: <laughs> Mine doesn't come out until January of next year, so.
0: But yeah, uh, so we're just both, we're both (laughs) mean.
1: Um,
0: I just got the galley maybe a week ago and I thought it would be perfect to take with me on flights this week. So I'm really looking forward to that. I have loved her previous work, all grown up, just read like a house on fire. I think very few um, fiction writers can get like so sharply right to the center of um, like flawed humanity in a really beautiful way, and um Jamie Attenberg is just so smart i can 't wait to read it, so this is my favorite i 'm going to be
1: my favorite yeah. of hers I loved it loved loved,
0: loved oh, it i 'm excited to be able to talk about it with you yes, I and then to eventually to be able about. to talk about it on the show. <laughs> Alright, well that wraps us up for today. If you have something to say to us, you can drop us a line at books at bookriot.com or hit us up on Twitter. I'm Rebecca Shinsky. S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y. Liberty is Miss Liberty. Um, These days I'm on Instagram a little bit more. Same. Just FYI. And if Well, actually a lot more (laughs) because I don't really tweet, so let's be real. Um, And if you would like to do us a solid, you could rate or review the show on Apple Podcasts. It helps other listeners to find their way to us.
1: And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today. We just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And in the meantime, happy Happy reading. Happy reading.